welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and you may have noticed from the show notes that there is a change in the interview schedule today. Part two of Michael Tucker's interview will continue next week, so never fear, you will get to hear the rest of Michael's amazing story. But I am preempting his interview this week because I had the opportunity to interview the director of the upcoming 3D short film Mila, Chinzia Angelini. And she and her team of 250 people from 25 countries currently have an Indiegogo campaign going on that ends on July 9th. And so I wanted to make sure that all of you had an opportunity to hear her interview as soon as possible and to check out their Indiegogo campaign and to donate because it is for a very worthy cause. This is not just any animated short film. Mila is the story of a little girl who is caught up in the bombing of Trento, Italy during World War II, and she represents all of the children who are caught in the crossfire of war. It's a very important film and sadly very timely in the world that we live in right now, and it's supported by Pixel Cartoon, Ibiscus Media, and UNICEF. It's very important. It's for a really worthy cause. So I wanted to make sure that all of y'all knew about that so that you could go out and support it. And not only that, but Chinzia is the pro's pro. She has been in the industry for over 20 years and she has worked on some amazing films with some of the top companies in the industry. We're talking Emblem Nation, Warner Brothers, DreamWorks, Sony, Disney Feature, and currently she's working at Illumination. She's worked as a 2D animator, a 3D animator, and a storyboard artist, and she is a wealth of knowledge. I know that all of you out there are going to love hearing what she has to say. So without further ado, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Animated Journey podcast. Today, I am delighted to have with me here Chinzia Angelini. Chinzia is a director, an animator, and a storyboard artist. She has over 20 years of experience in the field. She has worked at studios such as Walt Disney Feature Animation, DreamWorks, Illumination, Sony Imageworks, and Amblimation. She's worked on a number of films that I know all of you out there love, such as Balto, Bolt, Spider-Man 2, The Road to El Dorado, and many others. She's also worked on a number of DVD projects, as well as the Minions Ride at Universal Studios. And currently, she is a director on Mila, which is an independent short film that she is creating with a team of 250 artists from around the world Chinzia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. It's an absolute delight. And I'm really looking forward to talking about all of your experiences, especially Mila. That is such an important film, especially right now. So let's get into it. I always like to start off with where people are from. So you are originally from Milan, Italy. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, I was born and raised there. And what was it like growing up there? And what were some of your artistic influences? I really enjoyed, uh, you know, my all my experience over there. I went to uh, French school. So that was, uh, I think, a great experience because uh, 
at a young age, it kind of put me in contact with the world, you know, more than maybe, you know, my, my cousins that were just going to, or friends that were just going to Italian school because we had people from all over the world. So I think that helped uh, into making me more of a, a citizen of the world more than just Italian. So that was uh, great. And and then the, I mean, all the Italian uh, artists, you know, and the culture that is there, you just walk into a museum and you have so much, you could be influenced from so many artists. And um, once I started going, getting into animation, uh, I was really influenced both from, you know, Disney and uh, and the old classics, but also from all the Japanese TV series or features like uh, Miyazaki's work and to a bunch of a mix of art and animation that kind of uh, influenced me in the, at the beginning of my career. That is excellent. And what was it that inspired you to go to art school and decided that, you know what, animation is the field that I want to go into? Well, I, I didn't know specifically about animation until uh, I was like around 18. Before I was more interested maybe into graphic design, or I was thinking I could have done being an art director or an advertising field or something like that. So after graduating, I went to an I decided to go to a, a graphic design school. And then just by chance, I heard about this uh, uh, animation school that was in the evening. And uh, I decided to do two schools at the same time. And by, you know, in a few weeks, I knew right away that I wanted to do animation instead of just graphic design. And I finished both schools and that was good. You know, I think the graphic design school gave me a lot, but I knew right away I wanted to do animation. So that is what I I decided to do after the school. How did you balance studying two different subjects and going to two schools at once? Because for most people, just going to one would be, you know, they're already pulling all-nighters with one, but you you did two. So how did, how did you do that? <laughs> well, I guess it's my style. I don't know. I, I like to get busy, be busy. Uh, like now I'm doing multiple things. I'm, uh, you know, full-time at uh, Illumination and then I have uh, Mila, I have my family. So uh, I guess uh, learning how to multitask was um, my destiny from <laughs> young age. I don't know. Um, but there were both uh, artistic schools, but they, they were complementing each other in a way. So I, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, and at that age, you can you can do whatever you want if you decided to. You have the energy of an 18-year-old, you know. So, yeah, it, it was it was great. It was a great experience. That is very impressive and just goes to show, you're right, multitasking is the way to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So once you graduated, I saw that your first job was at Amblimation working on Balto. How did you get that first job? Well, I actually worked a year into the animation uh, industry that is really small. I was very small in Italy, in Milano, doing advertising. And, you know, it was a kind of a great experience just after school but I knew right away that I wanted to go away because the, the quality wasn't as, as high as I hoped of course and I was already looking abroad. Um, I've heard from friends that were looking for in-betweeners that is kind of the last you know person in, in the pipeline you know in betweening uh, uh, the cleanup into the cleanup department into the anima- the traditional animation uh, features uh, and the animation was looking so 
I cannot even think the poor portfolio that I put together. If I think about that back now, it kind of makes me smile. But, you know, as much as I could, I tried to look and know from people. We didn't have, you know, internet or anything like nowadays it's so easy. So just trying to get information from people that had more experience on how to prepare a portfolio for a cleanup position. And I did that. I sent it and... um, and basically, they, they called me a few days after and left a message. And I called back and within like three days, I was in amblimation. And it was a great experience, just uh, my first you know job abroad uh, in London. And, uh, you know, you have to grow fast. But it was, uh, it was really amazing. It, was, it didn't last too long because at the time, uh, DreamWorks was already uh, in the way of being formed. And uh, amblimation was going to close and become became DreamWorks. And... Because I, I just arrived, I didn't have visas for people that just arrived. So uh, I stayed three more years in Europe and then I kind of joined them back when they were dreamers in 97 for Prince of Egypt. What was that process like knowing that you were at the studio, you're getting to work on this film, you're having a, you know, a wonderful time and then finding out that it was going to close and that there'd be this other studio overseas, but you would have to wait. How did you cope with all of that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, the hope was that I could have found a way to get on board and sneak in. But no, it, that didn't happen. You know, like you have to get a visa and uh, they were just getting visas for animators of people that uh, stayed with them for, for a long time. So I knew I eventually wanted to get back, you know, and join them. So that was my goal. And it took me three years to, to do that. Uh, and it was, you know, the experience I had in, in Europe was super nice. I went to Munich and worked there for a year and then went back to London for Warner Brothers and worked there for another year and a half. So it was great. And when I arrived to DreamWorks, I arrived as an animator, actually. So I started as an in-betweener and then the three years in Europe gave me the chance to get more experience. And eventually it was better because if I joined them right then, I would have probably be stuck into the cleanup department. The fact that uh, I was able to uh, refine my skills as an animator on those three years gave me the chance to join as an animator. So it actually worked out for the best. That is fantastic. And for people that want to work overseas or just work in another country, what is the visa process like, or at least what was it like then going from being in Europe to coming to the U.S.? Yeah, it's not easy. It's kind of the same now, actually. Basically, you need to show that you're not stealing anyone's, uh, any job from Americans. So you have to show that you have uh, interviews and uh, articles and uh, you're like a super important person that they really have to have and no one else here can do it and of course it's whatever i mean lawyers can (laughs) figure out ways to do that whatever they want but the truth is like you have to give them something like i had the chance uh, i was lucky because in london i got a couple of uh, interviews on minor papers like really nothing but just the fact that your photo is on a paper is so important so for the government they don't know anything they don't know that they just look oh article okay check you know type of thing so it's very important if anyone is interested in doing that and going from your interviews 
some press and keep that and save that because that will be required by whoever lawyer will follow your practice. Basically, they will ask for that because that's that's really important. And then once you you get here, you you have to apply for the green card and uh, so that that will give you the freedom to work for anyone. Otherwise, you're stuck with the studio that got you a visa. So it's a it's a lot of things. It sounds like, like quite a bit. And had you been to the U.S. before either visiting or touring the studios prior to you coming to work at DreamWorks? Yeah, I came a couple of times and uh, I was kind of going around as a tourist back, backpack type of thing. And uh, I, I visited a lot of cities and I really liked it when I was here as a tourist in 93, 94. I knew I wanted to be here and work here and I came to visit few people that I knew that were already working in studios here and I was totally in love I said I want to work here so that was my goal and I'm hard-headed so until I got here <laughs> that was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the perfect attitude to have though you have you ha yeah you have to <laughs> yeah you have to you have to work hard and push through and so then you were at DreamWorks and you had the opportunity to be on both sides of 2D and 3D because you started off in 2D and you worked on Sinbad and Spirit, but then you were also a 3D animator as well. And I've met people in school and outside of school and at conventions and not everybody was able to make that transition. So how were you able to go from being a 2D animator to then deciding, you know what, I'm also going to be practicing 3D? Well, I, I like to usually, you know, try new things. And um, at the time, many people were like 2D people were terrified and scared and uh, they hated 3D. And there was so much of a really hatred for, for that new form of animation. They were scared that uh, rightfully, I guess, they were going to take away jobs. And that happened, of course. But when, when uh, Toy Story came out and I saw that, uh, that was like... It was a no-brainer that people and studios would have gone in that direction. So I was uh, doing uh, Spirit. I was uh, training for the... It was kind of a, the beginning of Spirit. And the studio was already talking about going maybe in that direction for background character. They were just testing out that word and starting a pipeline and all of that. And so I asked uh, to be one of the you know, guinea pigs animator too, because they wanted to see how 2D people would transition to 3D. So I raised my hand, hey, I'm here. Every, nobody wanted to do it, just few people. So I was the f one of the first four to be trained at DreamWorks. And it was like a couple of months training, so uh, great training. And uh, and I started in on Spirit to do some 3D background animation and uh, with uh, on Maya. And then uh, I was mainly just working on the Spirit, the horse on the on the team for, for Spirit. And... Um, and then the next film was seen, but it was the other way around. I was working 80% as a CG animator and then just a little bit as a, as a 2D. And I actually did on Sim, but some of the few shots that have an interaction between a CG character and a 2D character. So that was fun. Oh, wow. So you were working on both the 2D and the 3D at the same time? Within the same shot, yes. Wow. Yeah, when you have a, I don't know if you know Sim, if you remember Sim, but the big, uh, they called it the rock, I think. The big bird comes down and grabs the, the girl, Marina, and brings it up to his cave. So 
Marina, the, the woman, is 2D and the bird is 3D. And I did all that, that piece of that sequence. So, yeah, that was interesting to do. That's amazing. And I'm impressed, too, that you volunteered because that's the part of the story that you don't hear a lot. A lot of times what you hear is 3D came in and then people lost their jobs. But you don't often hear the, but people had an opportunity to learn both and to be, you know, the pioneers with this. And that's really impressive that you decided to jump in and try it. Yeah, I, I like I said, you know, I saw Toy Story and uh, first I loved it and I wasn't scared about 3D. I was intrigued by it. So, you know, it's just going to be worst case, we are not going to go 3D and I know it and I'm going to go back to 2D. So I had nothing to lose. There was a program organized by DreamWorks internally, two months. Where do you find something like that? So it was like full-time, you know, training for two months. And why, why not? I was not going to lose my skills as a 2D animator. Actually improved it because I started to understand the cameras and uh, moving around into a set in a better way. So it actually improved my 2D skills. That is great. And so then after that, I saw that you went on to Sony. What made you decide to go to Sony and work on Spider-Man 2? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, DreamWorks wanted to go into, uh, was going into CG at the time, but it was a very difficult time. And I had uh, an offer to go to Sony and I really wanted to, you know, now that I was, I did the two films as a CG animator, 2D and 3D animator at, at DreamWorks, I really wanted to go where they already were set up with a pipeline and going and doing great films. So I like to change and to challenge myself. I don't really like to stay in a place where I feel too comfortable and not comfortable, but like where I don't see my career going anywhere type of thing. So I, I at the time, I think it was the, the right decision to, to go and change and try. And uh, I probably would do the same again if I went back. So uh, working on Spider-Man 2 was kind of, I didn't know I was going to be on Spider-Man for a while. I was supposed to be right away in an open season, but then the production was delayed or something, I don't remember. So they put me on Spider-Man 2. It's actually, to this point, my only visual effect experience, but I really enjoyed it. It was great to have that experience and work with uh, live action and really, really enjoyed uh, that. What are the similarities and differences between working on animation for a live action film and working on animation for animated film? Well, I think that uh, most films, except few, were everything, it's VFX, so that, that's kind of the same as animation. But when most VFX films have a limited uh, chance to do acting for the animators, so it's risky to go into that direction if you really want to be like a character animator because you and that might end up doing helicopters you know that's not <laughs> it's <laughs> and all the explosions yeah so uh, so unless you know exactly that uh, the studio will give you the shots uh, with character performances and things like that if you go down that route you need to be prepared to do things that are not so exciting from a character point of view. Uh, when you're in an animation, you might be maybe a junior animator that doesn't doesn't get to get, do the A shots, 
but you're still exposed to so so many opportunity of animating characters. So it depends on what you're looking for. And usually animation is more cartoony, post-to-post type of more funny type of pushed uh, animation. VFX is more realistic type of animation. You know, it's kind of a taste at the end of what you prefer, what you rather do. All right, that's that's very good. To know. I've often been curious about that, actually. So that's very good to know. So you had an opportunity to work at Sony. You know, you're on open season, Spider-Man 2. And then after that, you made the jump over to Walt Disney. And I saw that you got to be a senior animator at Bolt. And I was curious, what exactly does that entail? Well, no, it's, uh, I think it's just the title differences that studios have. It's, uh, I think the, the, the main differences is junior animator or you can call it senior animator and then uh, lead animator or supervising animator. So maybe these four categories. So I was kind of, I would consider myself just a regular animator when I was at Disney. And uh, it was a tough time because uh, I was there right when the Pixar um, Disney merge happened. So it wasn't an easy time to navigate, you know, as you can imagine with all the politics and uh, and things that happen when uh, there are two studios merging. So, yeah, I, I mean, I learned a lot from the diplomacy point of view and the politics, let's say, more than animation during those uh, years at Disney. That's good to know. And actually, that speaks to another question I wanted to ask, which is, how do you navigate between the various politics and personalities when you're working from one studio to another? Because most people in their careers, they're going to be working at multiple studios. So what were some ways that you found worked for you to be able to adjust between going from one place to another and, you know, working with different leadership styles and that type of thing? Uh, well, it, the old studios are different, but the rules kind of apply to everything and everybody. So you always try to stay positive and be a team player. And um, you need to understand the people, how they operate. Usually it takes time. And when you go to a studio, everything seems fine and great and much better than the previous studio. And then after a year, you realize now that you know how things actually work, things were not so bad at the previous studio. It happens a lot because when you move and you, you get in a new environment and everybody's excited about you getting there and, you know, it's all positive. And then the real politics kind of kick in and, and you realize maybe it wasn't so great. It's difficult. It's everywhere. I mean, politics are any at all le- levels uh, all the time. It's just a matter of being able to balance creativity and moving, you know, networking within the studio in a way that doesn't put you in, you know, on the spot or in trouble. Or, But I would say just, you know, do your work and stay positive and um, be a team player and that uh, you're already in a very good shape. Excellent. That is good to know. So you're able to weather, you know, a difficult time in the industry. That was also, I know that 2008 is also the time that, you know, the economy crashed and that I'm sure that didn't exactly help. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it it didn't. And um, after Bolt, uh, Disney got rid of, uh, I think, 60% of the animation 
department. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so including me, and I was uh, five months pregnant, so that wasn't fun. Oh man. Yeah, it happens. So you have to be prepared. And so I, I went back at Warner for a while and then I took a year off because I had my second child and uh, it was good. That's the moment where I started moving into story and kind of just uh, learning on my own thanks to the internet that it's amazing because you can, if you want, you can learn anything. Uh, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to go to school, of course, but... Uh... <laughs> You know, schools are great and they give you a lot, but when you're a professional and uh, you don't have the time, you have a family, you cannot really go back to. The internet is a, it's a great way to just uh, create another career if you want to. And that, that's what I did basically in the, within a year, I moved from animation into storyboarding and I've done that since. How did you decide that storyboarding was the new path that you wanted to take? Well, because I was always fascinated by story and I mean, I love animation, but you kind of work a bit more in a box because you, you're animating your shot. You might be a lead animator and then you have a sequence to supervise, but it's always a limited way of moving and creating. I mean, you create movements and, and you, you can play with that, but as far as the character development or the story, especially more than the character, the story the development, what happens, that's kind of set and decided. So I was always fascinated by the, the story structure and how to get there and the challenges that uh, creating a great story brings. So when I had a chance during the, especially the Disney times, when I was there during the merge, there were so many moments where there was nothing to do because they were changing everything in production, pre-production. So they had a lot of tons of classes and I took all the story classes I could. And then when uh, when I was home with my kid, I went on and continued that with books and and, uh, and internet and, and I fell more and more in love with it. So, and I was already starting working on Mila at the time. So it was a great way to get into story with my personal project. And when you were doing your own study and your own research, when you were online, were you taking online classes or were you more reading articles and just contacting fellow story artists to see what they were working on? Yeah, no, I wasn't taking any classes, just, uh, you know, looking at people's work and talking to story artists I knew and showing them what I was doing, getting some critics. I took a few tests to studios because sometimes uh, studios, especially if you don't have a portfolio as a story artist, they give you tests. So they were interesting to see how, you know, what they were giving and challenging. And, and I challenged myself on, on doing those quickly. And then I, I was at uh, Duncan Studio working on the Minions ride for uh, Illumination was kind of a, not co-production, but Illumination was working with, with Duncan Studio. And that is where I got to know some people at Illumination and I showed my portfolio and, and that's how I got into storyboarding for them. I then had a, a couple of years where I went back to Dreamers uh, as a story artist at this time. But then I'm ba I've been back at Illumination for the last year and a half, so I'm there. Most of the time, I'm, I'm a freelancer, but most of the time at Illumination. That is great. And that actually brings us now to Mila, because, you know, while you were an animator and then also preparing to go into story, you were working on Mila for some time before you assembled your team. And I had an opportunity to read some from just the website and whatnot that 
it's based on experiences that your mother experienced. I want to know if you could talk more about that. Yeah, uh, I was always fascinated by mm, the possibility of working on a story about war. And uh, because, you know, I grew up in Italy and uh, uh, my mom and my grandmother always talked about the times when uh, war was there. And my mom, especially from her point of view of a four-year-old, five-year-old, how she felt uh, when the bombs, arrived, you know, were dropped and planes, engines, the noise of the engines were uh, heard from you know far away or the the sirens from the anti-craft would go off so and the terror that she had and just she just stopped and do nothing and of course that's not nothing very it's not a story that is interesting from the animation standpoint because you want a character that is proactive and changes changes the story uh with him uh or her so but uh, the core idea kind of fascinated me and and made me think a lot about how actually the experiences like this influence children and and how and how that affects them as adults as well so when uh, i finally decided to do a film on my own i i went back to that core idea and then i worked with that and created a story that of course of course suits animation and the film in general in a better way so Mila uh, is terrified by what happens during the bomb sequences, but she's not as passive as my mom was, uh, because she would have, she would have stayed there until somebody would take her to shelter, or you know she would stay under the bombs if it was for her from the terror she had. So Mila is more much more of a proactive character, but that story is kind of the what is behind Mila. And for our audience out there, what specifically is Mila about? So Mila is about uh, children that are caught in the middle of war and, and showing what happens to them emotionally and psychologically, but also showing how strong they can be and um, how much of an inspiration they, they can be to adults that are close to them. Sometimes we think uh, of children uh, just as very fragile and, and delicate human beings, and they are, but because of how they're able to work with imagination and fantasy. They, they kind of have a strong way to to cope with things like, you know, like conflicts. So Mila is a mix of uh, desperation and, and terror and fear, but also of uh, imagination and playfulness that will help her cope with it and go through and survive these terrible events and also in the meantime help uh, the the person that saves her the woman that saves her to find hope for a better life with her and that's that's how it ends and uh, it's at the end you know it's um, even if it's a story about war and what happens to Mila it, it ends with a, a positive hopeful ending that is wonderful and I'm Really glad to hear that you're working on that, because I feel like that's not a story that we often see. Like when most people think of war, they often think of the people fighting in the war. And that's an important story, you know, seeing the soldiers on either side. But you don't often think of families and you don't often think of children. And so that's really good that you're focusing on that aspect of it. Yeah, they they are often... uh left behind uh, at all levels, you know, 
not just uh, because they actually stay behind, but uh, that people don't forget about them. And uh, that's really a tragedy that it's it's happening now as we speak, unfortunately, in so many places in the world. Yeah, it's unfortunately very true. And I want to know, originally you, you started this uh, back in 2007 and you were working on it on your own. How did it grow from you working on it to now having... 250 artists from around the world working on your film it's my accent so i know i'm joking <laughs> i yeah i started you know like uh, with few colleagues and friends and um, as i w- was pitching it around i i understood that this film was had something to it and it was powerful because so many people right away wanted to work on it and i didn't even have work for everybody at the beginning, you know. I mean, I'm still writing the story. How can I give uh, someone something to animate? I still have to build the models, you know, type of thing. So, so many people right away were interested. And uh, and when I took my year off to stay with my second uh, child, I didn't do much for a year on it. And, and then people started to email me, so are we doing Mila? And I say, yeah, guys, I have no money. I mean, I cannot, you know, I don't have a budget for it. And they said, well, we work for free. Okay. So that's how it started. And uh, and that's been like that since this is 2010. And people just want to work on it uh, for probably different reasons, but mostly because they care about the theme of it and, and they want to make a difference in being part of something like this. And it's Mila is not just a film, it's, uh, it wants to be a movement to raise awareness about this tragic reality. And, uh, and artists are very sensitive people and they work probably all day long on VFX, superheroes and very funny characters and that's great. It's amazing to entertain people like that. But then when they go home at night or uh, during the weekends and they want to spend their own time on something that probably means something more to them, it's different. And many artists join us because they, they might not have an animation industry at our at this quality in their country or they kind of junior and they, they want to build their portfolio. So we one of the things we gave is the opportunity to use the assets that or animation or shots that they create on Mila, password protected, of course, but they can use it prior to the, the release of the film. It's something very rare or not heard of in the industry. Usually you have to wait for years. As a story artist, for example, I have to wait, what, three years before I can use my boards? You know, you cannot show anything before the film is out. So that's something that, of course, attracts people to be able to work at this quality uh, of animation and be able to use that for their portfolio. That is excellent. And that's that's really good because you're right. I've, I've heard stories of, you know, NDAs that are as thick as a phone book, basically, that you have to sign. And so it's almost like, well, I worked on it, but you'll never get to see what it is that I did. So that's excellent that people get to show, you know, the work that they're doing. Yeah, I think, you know, we ask a lot from people because even if you're a volunteer, we still, uh, our standards of approvals are very high. And if you look at the if you watch the trailer, you see the quality. But at the same time, we we love to give back in any way we can. So I think it's uh, we are able to to have a really great atmosphere, even if we are not physically together. But there there is a great understanding between everybody, and that's why we work I think so well, and we are so productive, even if we don't have a budget. 
That is wonderful. And I was curious too, you know, you said that a lot of the first people that came on were friends and people that you had reached out to. Where else did you reach out to for the rest of your crew? Well, for example, uh, in the last six months, uh, zeroplay.com contacted us and that was great. And they're, on, they're sponsors and that helps into uh, if if I, you know, we need some specific artists for a specific position, we could maybe, we, we probably would uh, go through their site and, and see who's available. But uh, mostly uh, now, I mean, I receive so many emails a day from all over the world of people that want to work on Mila that unless there is some position really specific coming up, like we really need someone doing that. Uh, and then I would look for that person. We have even too many people, so we have to turn away people now. It's too much. That is a, that's a good problem to have, though. It's like, but, you know, we will call upon you if we need your help. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in a way, I wish we had, you know, like a studio with different productions at different stages. So you can always ut utilize everyone. But for now, you know, I think doing one project of this uh, scale, uh, it's enough. <laughs> and I wanted to find out, too, how did you get involved with Pixel Cartoon, Ibiscus Media and UNICEF? Yeah, Pixel Cartoon is uh, the studio owned by Valerio Oss in Trento. And we actually went, me and Valerio went to school, uh, the animation school in Milano together. He was a year ahead of me. And then, uh, you know, we kind of lost each other contact for a while. But then just before I started Mila, we, we met again in Annecy and uh, we started talking about the project that he was interested in. At the time, he founded the studio and I said, look, if you want to, you can, uh, you know, be on board. And he actually is the one that asked for a grant at the Trentino Film Commission in Italy that we, we got. So we had a little grant for rendering that he's using and everything else is just volunteers. But we got that grant that the Pixel Cartoon is using for rendering expenses for the render farm. And um, it's the actually the only entity that is physical like a studio with a roof over their head and they're dealing with the, the rendering part of it is biscus media it's owned by valentina martelli and uh, she's going to take care of all the more of a distribution and uh, uh, media aspect of things and public relation and all of that she's doing a great job at uh, organizing all of that um unicef uh, it's interesting how he, that happened because uh, and that's uh, just I want to touch really briefly on the importance of social media especially for independent productions you have to be you know on it from day one as you start your script you probably want to find someone that will help you with social media I just sent a direct message to the head of UNICEF in Italy and he replied and six months after this was through Twitter and six months after he, we they came on board and uh, and uh, they are backing us basically with the visibility and it's just uh, amazing that you know an entity like UNICEF it's uh, is uh, on board with us so you should never be scared to ask or reach out because you never know what comes out. You know, people are react, especially when you have a film that is personal, that's a strong theme. You'll be surprised on how people help. 
That is amazing. And that's wonderful that you took that initiative and just reached out to them and said, here's a project and it's a great project and it'll benefit people. It's something you would be interested in. Yeah, you sh sometimes it's just, it's, you have help and things, amazing things come from the most unexpected people and situations. And sometimes it's the other way around. We expect something from someone, you're sure they're going to help you and nothing comes out. So you never know. You never know. How do you stay encouraged through that? Because I imagine that throughout this process, I'm sure there have to have been, you know, highs and lows. So what do you do when you've had a particularly hard day or your team's having a tough time? What do you do to not only encourage yourself, but also to rally the troops? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, very lucky because I have an amazing producer, Andrea Ems, and uh, she, I think we are starting to say that we're sharing a brain now with all the the work we've been doing together. And uh, you need some someone, you know, there are going to be days where you, you're down and there are one problem after the other. You wake up in the morning just having to fix issues and hopefully by night you fix it, And but next morning you have another one. So... You know, we're all, we're humans and every day is different. And there are some days where you like you, you get down and you're like, oh my God, why am I exactly doing this? Why? So, and, <laughs> and then, you know, you email Andrea or somebody else from the team and, you know, we're all, we're humans and every day is different. And, um, the opposite because something finally was fixed and just influencing you like no no it's fine you look that thing just you know it's amazing we fixed it oh, okay fine. so it's just um or you know you wake up in the morning maybe you went to bed like kind of like okay i'm I'm done that's that's too much and then you wake up in the morning with a letter from somebody from syria telling you that they would love to work on me if they have if they had a internet or something like stuff like that so i was like oh my god okay i have to go forward there is no no other way just forward so you find the strength i find the strength through the team itself and seeing so many people you know when i wake up in the morning and i go through our applications for communications and I see so many people during the night were talking and fixing things and, and uploading new images and stuff like that. And I, it's, I mean, it's just, I have to finish, of course, of course. Excellent. That is very good to hear. And speaking of your team, you have the largest international virtual animation crew to ever work on a short film. What are some of the similarities and differences between working in a brick and mortar studio like Sony or DreamWorks and Disney versus working virtually? It's difficult not to be in a room for an important meeting and be all together. And uh, in a way, it takes longer to fix issues because maybe no one, not everybody was able to join because of time differences. So th that's challenging. But sometimes you're in a studio and you have issues that even if you do meetings, they're not solved because of miscommunication or just the politics or whatever. So I think the main differences for us or a studio is like a studio like the one you named that have millions of dollars to throw on, on projects. And uh, 
things are done they they get done because you have so many people paid eight hours a day or more to do that and that will be done and solved and hopefully in a fast way we have nothing we just have the the wheel of uh, volunteers working on things and just the fact that we're able to come out with a trailer of that quality shows you what type of team we have because it's difficult i mean we have so many issues that's just the pipeline it's all up in the air meaning it's there is no studio just the render farm is fine but it's all made up as as best as we could with no resources so but i think that uh, what we are doing on mila is you know it's difficult it's it's tough but we're doing it in a great way and with great results so i think if you consider we have no budgets it's pretty incredible yes yeah, it's, it's very very impressive especially because i know that there's people from multiple countries various time zones all working together as an organized unit so that's i mean i just think back to school when people are working on teams of four <laughs> and how difficult that can be and you're managing a team of over 200 people so that is great and y'all have an Indiegogo campaign going on right now. When did that start and when does that end? We end July 9th and uh, it was a couple of months. And uh, yeah, it's going, we are at 50%. We just passed the 50, 50%. It's been great to see all the support. And of course, we need more to get to the, the goal of 60,000. We have great perks that people, if they're interested in supporting us and supporting this short and what we want to say, can check out. Uh, and the fact, you know, sometimes I really like to talk about it because the fact that we are all volunteers doesn't mean we don't have expenses. We do have a lot of expenses, just keeping up a server or the cloud to allow people to work remotely. We have many, many expenses. So Indiegogo was... Uh, really needed at this point and hopefully it's going to be a successful one and uh, everybody that is listening will go and check it out. Absolutely. And I'll make sure to include not only links to Indiegogo, but also links for the trailer as well as the website, as well as your work too. And I saw that you had the opportunity as well to go to various conventions and studios to spread the word and let people know what's going on. I got to actually see you when you were over at a fan alley back in February, you were on a couple of different panels and that was wonderful to get to hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I saw also that you've been to CTN and a couple of the studios as well. How has the response been from the different places that you've traveled to? Great. I mean, I was also at Animayo in Spain like a month ago. I was there. It's a really nice festival. What this is another aspect of Mila because uh, we we haven't finished the film yet, but uh, we want to share as much as possible with the indie community, indie filmmakers community, what we're learning, what what we've learned, tips and tricks on how to do this. Because so many people out there have their project and they want to do it, they have no budget. How am I gonna do it? So everybody should find their own formula, and uh, every production is different, every team is different. But I think. Hearing what we have learned and what worked and what didn't work for us can be very interesting. And uh, that's why we've been invited to many festivals to uh, usually it's either me or me and Andrea 
going and, and sharing with everybody. And now studios, like we were at Dreamers three weeks ago. I was at Sony two days ago and might go to Illumination next week. So they are very interested in hearing this because at the end, we are doing a very high quality product with no budget. So something we probably are doing right. And if they're able to gather, you know, like to understand what it is and apply that to a production that could be remote, but with a budget within a studio, you know, they're interested. So we love to share and spread what we've learned and what we are learning during this process. So that, that's why we've been invited around. And it's a great way for us to promote the film as well. So it's a win-win situation. That is wonderful. And what is the projected uh, end date for the short? <laughs> we learned, uh, this is what uh, Andrea uh, always says, uh, she's done with doing, with creating deadlines because <laughs> when, when we, we need to be very flexible and organic on how we work because that's just the nature of working with everybody, volunteers. And uh, sometimes you want to finish a shot that day, but you might not be able because of work, because of family, because of whatever. So ideally, we would like to be done by end of 2017. If everything goes well with Indiegogo and other things we're working on, uh, we'll probably be able to do it. So that's the goal. And, and then go into the festival circuit and, uh, and try to spread the Mila film, the theme and the Mila movement as much as possible. Well, Tunzia, that is excellent. And I encourage everyone out there to visit the Indiegogo page, visit Mila Film, and check out the trailer. It is a beautiful trailer, and it's for a really worthy cause, something that's going on right now, sadly, in countries around the world. So it's never been more important than now to support a project like this. So, Tunzia, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's really incredible to be able to, to share my story and especially Mila with you all. Absolutely. And is there, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to share or any questions about Mila that I didn't ask that you just want to make sure that people know about? Well, I can tell you a little story that we, we were ready for the trailer and uh, my composer, Flavio Gargano in Rome, say, well, we, we, we can record some musicians and mix it in like indie productions usually do. You cannot afford a full orchestra. So I said, okay, fine. So he just posted something on the Italian forum online on the musical, you know, circuit. And then he called me a week after and said, okay, so we have a few applications. So, okay, great. How many? 150 from all over Italy. So I said, really? So we did three days of auditions and we formed a, a full orchestra. And uh, so the music that you hear on the trailer is from a volunteer full, of full orchestra in Italy. That's just to tell you the power that this project has, not just within the artists or the animation industry, but everywhere. That is fantastic. And it's a testament to your hard work and to your team's work and also just to the story itself that you're telling something that's resonating so deeply with people. Thank you. Absolutely. So thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And again, everyone, make sure to check out the Indiegogo campaign and to donate. And Chinzia, we very much look forward to seeing the film. When the film is done, 
and y'all are going forth on the festival circuit, I would love to have you back on the show to talk about your experiences after the campaign and how everything is going. Absolutely. It would be a pleasure. Absolutely. And that concludes the interview with Chinzia Angelini. Special thanks to Chinzia for being my guest. Very much enjoyed having her on the show. And special thanks to producer Andrea Ems for setting up this interview. Thank you so much, Andrea, for getting me in touch with Chinzia. I really appreciate it. And make sure to visit www.milafilm.com to find out more about the film and everyone working on it. And also on milafilm.com, you'll see a link for their Indiegogo campaign. So make sure to support the campaign. And I'll include a link in the show notes for Chinzia's portfolio, Mila Film, and also for the direct link to the Indiegogo campaign. So make sure to check that out and make sure to watch the trailer. It is an extremely moving story and I wish them all the best. And if you've enjoyed today's interview, make sure to head on over to iTunes and subscribe and to leave a review. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you to everyone who has left a review. And if you want to see what else is going on in the world of animation, you can check out the Animated Journey Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash the Animated Journey. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at AnimJourney. We also have a new Tumblr page, www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on the Tumblr, I'll have a link for the trailer for Mila, so you can check that out. And if you would like to donate directly to the show, you can support us by visiting theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal button on the right-hand side. And make sure to support all of our sponsors, Loot Crate, Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry website hosting by clicking on the banner ads on the right-hand side of the Animated Journey website. Every time you support our sponsors, you also support the show. And I appreciate everyone who has supported our sponsors and thus supported the show also. It is greatly appreciated. And if you want to see what I've been up to, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. You can visit the Tumblr, www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at SketchySoul. And you can check out my Instagram, at Sketchy underscore Soul. So tune in next week when I present part two of the interview with Michael Tucker. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.